Welcome to the Messy Progress Podcast, the show that will give you the courage and confidence to get messy, uncaged, and liberated so that you're living your most vibrant life. I'm your host, Adrian Smith, and I'm so stoked that you're here. Let's jump right in. So today we're talking to Brooke Downs. She's one of my amazing teammates that rode across the ocean with me. And how I want to start chatting with you today, Brooke, is talking about what we've coined our whoops and poops of the day. So right now you're sitting in technically Santa Barbara, like we could be doing this in person, right? And tell me about of your day so far, what's been your whoops and poops in no order? Well, thank you, Adrian, for having me. My very good friend. I'm excited for our conversation. Um, I like to start with the poop and then get into the whoop. I'm pretty sure that I broke my finger. I know that you can't see, but I jammed it on Saturday and I thought that maybe it would go down by now, but it still looks very crooked. So that would be my poop. I'm going to have to get an x-ray this weekend. And my woo would probably be that when I went to get my iced coffee today, I got the best greeting from the six baristas that were in there because they all know me by name and order. And I always do the mobile order. So they always know when I'm coming in. And it was like, there was a lot of people in there today. And they were all like, hi, Brooke. Hi, Brooke. How are you? How are you? And it was just really sweet. The girls that work there are really cute. So that was just a nice way to start my morning. That's awesome. Now, because you received that as a greeting that you got today, does that lean into how you want to greet others when you're, because you work at a gym? Yeah, I think that knowing people by name and, you know, whenever you're in a greeting kind of situation or environment, that's your job. It definitely does make a really big difference. And I know that when you're, constantly meeting so many different people it is a pretty big effort to know everybody that walks in but from being on the other end of that where it is my job usually to know the person's name to have that experience on the other side it really made me realize how important it was and like how special it made me feel even though it is such a small thing but for somebody to just remember your name and recognize you um it was really cool and makes me want to try a little bit harder with the hundreds of names that I have to know, but I'm getting there. Yeah. When you say it makes you feel special, um, one of the things that we did on our boat trip and prior to leaving was we talked about our physical state and our emotional state and what we needed. So what does it cause for you when you feel special, like emotionally? I think that in our day and age, there's so many interactions that we have with people. Like the world is just so big now. And I feel like with social media, we're kind of losing a lot of the stranger connections that you can have. Like yet literally just yesterday, there was a little boy selling lemonade at a lemonade stand. And I had never seen that before since I was a kid doing that. And I almost didn't stop because I was like, Oh, there's so many people that would also stop. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to be that person because you know, this is probably going to be a really sweet memory for him if he just makes that extra dollar, which with inflation, I thought maybe it would be more than that, but it wasn't. It was the same as when I was, when I was a little kid. Um, but I think that 
even though he didn't go through the process of the needs like we did, that was kind of what he was saying. He needed people to see him and recognize that he had been sitting out there all day and he needs people to stop, not just, you know, for the money and the selling point, but just because that's how this 12 year old was spending his summer afternoon. And it's nice to kind of be really present in that in people that are strangers that you're never going to see again, but kind of just realizing that these small interactions that we have hundreds of times a day actually can make a really big difference in a person's day. Yeah. And just to back, back up to what the person did at the coffee shop was simply saying your name and several people there saying your name. So good to see you. It's so good to see you. And to be seen, to be seen, to be heard, to be acknowledged, to be recognized is, I think, goes beyond our understanding of why does it make such an impact to be able to have that part of ourselves be recognized by another person, that human connection. I think a big part of it is because we almost ignore those interactions. So it's not even like you have that recognition as like the plus one or nothing. It's almost like you're usually getting ignored as a minus one. So it's almost like a double leap to actually being recognized and having like a smile come at you and a really positive experience. On the flip side of it, with usually people, you know, walking down the street or driving past the kid with the lemonade stand, it's like you're ignoring him. And that actually has almost a negative impact instead of a really awesome positive. So in Santa Barbara, we have a lot of people on the corners of major highway intersections where they're standing holding a sign that says, you know, what did I see the other day? Uh, Friend for life, one dollar. And the guy was holding a cardboard sign. What do you do when you see that person holding the sign? I actually usually keep a couple dollar bills in my um, little side compartment. But of course, if I don't have any, I do try and give a smile and a wave. And um, where I was living before in Oklahoma City, it was kind of the same situation. And I remember when I first moved there, I stopped, gave, you know, a couple of dollars The man was very nice. He was like, thank you so much. Have a blessed day. And then it was a street that I drove down a lot and he actually recognized me and I didn't have anything to give the next time, but he smiled and waved at me because I guess not, maybe not that many people stopped and it was enough for him to be like, no, this was the woman that, you know, actually took a moment to say hello to me. And I think that even if you don't have anything to give or it's not something that you want to do, I think even just looking and giving a smile goes a lot further than doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, or turning away, which is almost, I see you, but I'm going to pretend like I don't see you so that this problem is something that there isn't this human that's standing right in front of me. Yeah, I think recognizing that that they are human. You don't have to give your hard-earned dollars Um, If you can, I personally think that you should, but I'm not going to judge you if you don't, but I think that you can give that you can recognize that they're there. So talking about our road to shift gears a little bit, um, we've both been back because we did it together, obviously, is almost a, a year and a lot has changed for you since 
before you even signed up for this, which was a little bit earlier than I did. Talk through the the where you've been just geographically in the last year plus, because part, like when we started training for this. Yeah, I've bounced around quite a bit in the past year, which is so crazy. Um, so starting from Oklahoma, where I was originally training, that was one starting point. And then initially moving to Santa Barbara, which was a place that I had never even been to before. Um, before I started training for this row and then mostly was here during our training and preparation. But then after we got back from Hawaii, I went back home to New Jersey for a little bit. Then I was in LA visiting some friends. I went up to San Francisco for work. I went to Las Vegas to see Taylor Swift. Then I was in Florida for work. Then I went to South America for a rowing competition Then I was in Ohio for a training camp for rowing. Then I'm back here. So I've been a lot of places geographically in the past year. And I feel like I might even be missing a couple from that list. Yeah. So you've, since being back, you've, and I can't remember if you were doing coastal rowing at all prior to us going. And when I say coastal rowing, it's different than it's in its oceans, but not what we did. Correct. So yeah. explain to those who are listening what coastal rowing is different than flatwater rowing. So coastal rowing, it's a relatively new sport, but it's like flatwater rowing. It's a similar boat, but it's designed to take on more impact and waves. But the sport itself takes place on the coast, and it's a sport that is looking to get accepted into the Olympic Games starting in Los Angeles 2028. They'll make that final decision in September, but it is looking pretty good. But the race itself actually starts on land, and you have to run to your boat right where the waves are crashing. So you have two people holding your boat in the water. You have to jump in, and then you row out 250 meters while weaving in between buoys. Then you do a full 180 turn, come straight back in, have to hop out of the boat, which is very difficult to do without face planning, and then run up the shore and hit a buzzer. And it's a really fun sport. It's about three minutes long of a race, and you can do it in a single, a double, or a quad. And what have you been doing? Um, I've been doing mostly the single and the mixed double. And for world championships for the 6,000 meter race, um, I'll probably do the single and the quad, but I'm not sure yet. What's that like? It sounds logistically trying to get in and out of the water with another one other person, let alone three other people in a quad. What's that like? Yeah. So there's a lot of technique to it. And I think one of the reasons that the club and the coaches that I'm working it with we've kind of been dominating in the U S is because our coach understands how important that transition is of getting in and taking the first stroke. Because if you take the first stroke, then statistically when you're on your way back, you're going to be the first one to catch the waves that are coming in, but there is a balancing act to it. There's a certain way to get in, especially when you're doing it with three other people. But when you're in a quad, the three people actually start with, their bodies in the water, like waist deep, and they have to like swing their legs over. Whereas the last person, which is usually the coxswain is the the one running. So not everybody is running all at once, but when the waves are crashing right where you are and the boat is going almost parallel to the sky, when the buzzer goes off, it's pretty hard to get 
your feet in, get your butt on the seat, get your oar handles down, and then all take the first rope together. Now, what made you decide to get into coastal rowing from shifting from flat water? Honestly, COVID played a pretty big part in that. I was at a training camp for flat water rowing before Olympic trials, and it was a really hard 10-day training camp, and we got to kind of celebrate and have a little fun by trying out these coastal rowing boats, and I just absolutely loved it. And I had heard that um, they were going to start having a national team go to the world championships because previously the U.S. hadn't sent any. And with COVID and things kind of you know changing a little bit within U.S. rowing itself, things getting delayed, Tokyo getting postponed, I had the opportunity to go to U.S. trials for that. And I didn't qualify for the 500-meter event that year but I was still able to go to the endurance world championships in Portugal. So it was just kind of the timing of it that allowed me to actually go to the initial trials. That's awesome. It's a really, what have you liked? What have you liked most about it? Yeah. So a lot of us on the team have had kind of an emotional up and down roller coaster with flat water rolling and being an Olympic hopeful as a U.S. athlete it's a really tough sport to sustain just because there is no money in the sport. Um, and it is really tough and it's super competitive because the people that you're training with throughout the year become your competitors as soon as you get to trials. So it's a really interesting dynamic of being teammates and friends, but also knowing that those are the people that you need to beat out or else you're not going to the Olympics. But then in coastal rowing, Although it is technically the same, there's more camaraderie in the sport, not just among single teams, but internationally as well. So when I was at my first world championship event, the boats themselves weigh hundreds of pounds and you need to get them out of the water really fast because another boat is going to come in and beach. So you need 10 people to carry a quad. And so whenever a boat would come in, you have all of these people from different countries, different teams helping you out. And everybody was celebrating together, having fun, you know, talking, getting to know each other. And they were super competitive on the water. But when you weren't on the water, you were actually really close friends getting to know these people. And it was a much different experience than any competition in flat water that I had ever done. Yeah, it seems like this is so much more, I don't know, has has that ocean vibe of like fun and mystery and unpredictableness, if that's a word, compared to what I've kind of made happen in my mind around around what flat water rowing is, is it's very, I don't know, sterile. It kind of comes to mind of just the, we're here, we're in this little situation in this boat and everyone else is separate from us. And it sounds like that's one of the allures to a different, you know, we'll call, rowing is not the same sport, no matter, you know, if you do flat water rowing, coastal rowing, ocean rowing, it's not the same but people see it as the same. They also call rowing paddling and outriggering. And it's like different sports, but um, it sounds like you found your niche. Yeah, it's really good. And I think it's something that as the sport is growing, we're all really trying to protect just as more and more people come in to be like, no, this this is the way that we do this. This is the environment. It's a positive environment. If you lose to a teammate, of course, you're going to be bummed out but you also recognize that that is your teammate and you're going to be happy for them because you saw how hard they worked 
because you were training with them the whole time. And that was something that I experienced only a couple of weeks ago when I lost at trials. It was like, of course it stung. I wouldn't be doing it if I wasn't going to be disappointed if I lose, but it was emotionally much different to all the other races I had lost in the past. Because I was like, I, I beat somebody that I knew also really cared about this and also would have been happy for me if I had won. Yeah. It's almost like they are really a teammate. Yeah. It's like how it should be. And it's taken so long to be like, this is actually a team. Well, and it's interesting being someone that wasn't familiar with rowing at all or the rowing culture for me coming to be on a team with you and the two other women on our team that did come from high school and collegiate rowing backgrounds. It's like very, very much team oriented. Very like I just I still can remember moments when we were having, um, I don't know, just not troubles, but just something that happens when we were training and preparing for our row was DJ saying, I really want to be with my team. And I wasn't familiar with that because I've came from a background of one sport athlete as a triathlete and not a team. Um, so it's, it's good to see that translate into something that I just feel for you that you desire and want and um, just kind of like fills your soul up more. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I think that the three of us also recognize that you were previously on a sport and had this huge history of kind of racing by yourselves. And I think that in any kind of other situation without the team that we had been on, it probably would have been easy for me to be like, what the heck is Adrian doing? Like, why doesn't she get that this is how things are? But because our team was really transparent and had a lot of conversations, it was like, no, I actually recognize that this was new and different for you in those, you know, kind of trouble times, whatever you want to call them. Obviously nothing was ever crazy when it came to that situation, but because somebody had verbally brought it up, it was like, oh yeah, of course this, she doesn't have the same background that the three of us. Yeah, totally. And that's like the, I think the beauty of what we all, and I, I know what I discovered was not hiding, but also recognizing that I'm not going to try to control what you do. You're not going to try to control what I do. I'm not going to change your perspective, but I'm going to see your perspective and learn to understand it more so that we can work together and move ourselves forward towards what we wanted to move forward. Um, What did you see for yourself prior to launching when we launched a year ago as one of the biggest obstacles that you endured personally? prior to launching? I mean, the biggest obstacle for me was the seasickness and just kind of all of the anxiety around it. Not just of me being afraid that I was going to get really seasick during this row, but also knowing that everybody else was concerned and I knew that everybody else was talking about it. So I knew that it was a big deal because I knew that there was conversations about me and I had never been kind of that person that people worried about like that before. Yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely the biggest thing for me in our preparation before the row. It's so interesting to now be on the other side of it. And obviously everyone had all of their worries and concerns for us on our behalfs. We were having our own and then everyone also added to it, but just to know 
And no one will ever know like what it was really like for us to be out there together. We can talk about it till we're blue in the face and be on different podcasts and write books and blah, blah, blah. But to be with each other and to see the highs and lows and the the physical feelings that you can only, you can see, you can't ever verbalize. Like when someone's having a hard time, whether it's keeping food down or having a, a day where you just didn't want to talk to each other or talk about something is like, you can't really explain what was happening. We can only just remember what that was feeling like that felt like. And, you know, I, I feel like I got sick more than anyone else did on the boat. Like I like in even just randomly, like two weeks in or three weeks in, all of a sudden I'm like in the cabin and I'm going to throw up and, and, and probably did. I can't even remember, but it was just, thinking about the things that we worried about and that other people worried about that didn't end up even happening. Yeah. And then yeah. like the th- like I wasn't necessarily I guess I was wor- that was always a concern especially after being out on those two terrible ocean <laughs> days <laughs> in preparation where there was sort of like the worst days of our lives. Um but I just like didn't think that it would be like I thought it was going to be way worse. I did too. And I think it's interesting because when I think back of all of the fear and anxiety I had around the really terrible seasickness that I had during the training rows is that I wasn't worried about getting seasick because that meant an evacuation of a life-threatening situation for me, which is really scary. That wasn't what my anxiety was about. It was about letting you guys down and knowing that if you start as a four, you finish at a four and there goes any world record if I have to get evacuated. And so it's funny looking back and being like, I was more afraid about letting you ice down than I was about being in a life-threatening situation in the first week out there. And that alone, I feel like is something that it's really hard to describe, as you were saying, of you know, nobody is ever going to know what it really was like to be out there or even what it was really like to be on our team. Because I feel like even just explaining that, I would imagine people would be like, what the heck? That is absolutely psychotic. That that would be more fearful for you than anything else. But that's just what it was. So I guess you could imagine my relief when I only threw up one time and I was like having the time of my life eating all the mac and cheese that I want. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I think, a testament too to just what you've talked about already of your team attitude. You're looking at a bigger picture from recognizing someone, hearing your name be called when you order a coffee to seeing the guy that's holding the sign to wanting to like be better for the sake of all that are around us. And you always did that. Even, you know, you lived in my house for a bit and, um, you know, just the, the way that you cared for, for me when I, gosh, I feel like that year of preparing, there was just so many other things also going on, whether it was, you know, for me, family wise or marriage or like highs and lows with my sister <laughs> like just everything is like I remember coming in from a walk and like crying and you being being like do you want to talk or like let's go and so it was just like I you know we we prepared together for this crazy adventure across the ocean and also what was 
so much more powerful, I think, for other teams that are preparing for things. And, you know, you're doing some of this in your in a couple of your jobs is like it's so much more about the personal stuff, the seeing, like being really seen by who you're with and not just acting as though you don't have the time for something because it is about the, the people that we're with all in all. The little kid that's selling lemonade, the seeing someone and feeling their I don't want to say dis-ease. I use that word a lot, but like when someone's distressed, it's like, it's, it can be easy to be like, I'm not going to, I'm just going to breeze through this and I'm not going to pay attention. And I don't, I feel like that was one of the things with our group that that was a strength of ours. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that this was one of those things that you, you couldn't hide anything that was going on when you're training to do something like this and you had the goals that we had with amongst our team, it was, you saw everything that was happening outside of training for the ocean row where in your typical life, you wouldn't really know that about the person. Like I wouldn't have known all of these different things that you were going through. Had I not been on your team, had I not been living with you, but all of that, I think added to recognizing that there's so much more that is going on behind the scenes. And I think having had, you know, a full almost year of that, of seeing that amongst all of these other people has really translated to coming back and being like, okay, even though this little kid seems happy selling his lemonade, he might be doing it because he wants to raise money for something else because, you know, maybe his grandpa just passed away and you have no idea, but there probably is a whole list of things that are going on behind the face of the stranger that just said hello to you or the stranger that you just ignored. And I wish that it's, you know, I, it took me rowing across an ocean to really see that amongst other people. But it's one of those things that I feel like I talk about all the time now amongst my friends is that you really don't know what's going on in someone's life. And that's why it's like, you, you should just really try to be like 2% nicer to every stranger that you meet. Or even just, ask a question that might be different than the, like, even just how are you can be a social nicety, but it's like, really, how are you? I hate, I mean, I don't hate the how are you, but I've been thinking about that a lot because somebody asked me how I was the other day and I, I was having a really bad day and I didn't want to say I'm fine, but I also didn't want to like unload all of the reasons that are super valid for me to be bad. I didn't want to be negative, but it was like, you did ask how I was, you know? And I just decided to tell him that it's like, honestly, not good, but I don't really want to talk about it. And his response was, I really hope that your day gets better. I was like, I feel much better that I was honest. I feel like he may, may or may not feel better that I was honest. I don't know, but I'm just happy that I wasn't having to hide being happy for a conversation. And often it's like with even strangers, like I think I was at Trader Joe's the other day and someone's like, how are you? And I was like, I'm great. And has anyone ever just not said they're good or great? And what did you do in response? Like, did it ever go south? And the woman that was, you know, the, the checking me out, she's like, yeah, it was super awkward. <laughs> no, no. And I was like, she just was telling me how she essentially in long, short format was just like redirected the conversation to something else. Mm-hmm. But also at the, at the moment, same, same to what, as what that guy had said was the acknowledgement of a person like actually being seen because you did ask a question. 
So there has to be the interaction and connection instead of it just being glossed over and moving on with your day. I actually did that at Trader Joe's once. They asked me how I was and I was having like an extra bad day on the verge of tears. I was like, honestly, really bad. And that cashier was like, hold on one second. Went to get me a bouquet of flowers. And she was like, this is on us. Aww. I was like, wow, that is probably the nicest thing that anybody has ever done for me before. Yeah. Well, and you know, this, the, the podcast that we're on is Messy Progress. And it's, you know, being honest, that just alone can be a messy undertaking when we say how we really are feeling and we don't know where it's coming from. We're just, you know, we can have events that lead to a bad day that then just accumulate. And we're like, I know I'm feeling this way because of this, or I'm not eating well, I'm not getting enough sleep or whatever the thing is. And we can fix it with things that we, you know, someone gives, gives us flowers, but it's like really, it's, it's remedied because we're, it's recognized. It's recognized by ourselves or by someone else. And I feel like it's something that we're not used to doing. Yeah. Being honest totally is a progress. And I think that it's also something that you have to practice. You have to practice, you know, how much how honest you really want to be when someone asks you how you are. And it kind of takes maybe taking that leap and actually giving the honest answer, trying it once instead of just saying, good, how are you? And then you can kind of see, is this kind of the person that I want to be super honest with? Is this the time that I want to say great, but it takes practicing and recognizing those different moments and also then starting to learn how to express your emotions. I remember when we were doing one of our, our preparation exercises of how you feel. And I really struggled with verbalizing how I felt internally. And you pointed it out. It's like, isn't it interesting that you can't even, you know, vocally say how you're feeling inside, but it took a lot of practice and I finally got there, but I had to take that first jump of at least trying. Yeah. And, and I think I remember, I think we were at like yellow belly having dinner or something. And, and I asked a couple of times, like, tell me specifically, like, what do you feel in your chest? And it was, I can't even remember, but I just, to be someone that witnessed in, that in you, like in another person, like having the, the ability to, um, like, I always like to use the term, like holding safe space for someone to do that is, that's all I think we're ever asking for when we're with another person is like, can I explore actually being myself? Being vulnerable. Yeah. With you. Cause like, this is new to me. I don't know how to, how it goes. And, um, I think that's like of all the ways that we can have the world be elevated. It's like, it's by being that with one other people or in a group of people and, um, letting people be like their fullest expression, so I want to ask you, because one of the things that was, I think, so special about our team, well, I mean, so many things, but we were all so different. And, you know, sure, we're four white girls that live in California, but we're all very different. And one of the things that made you um, on the outwardly different is that you loved being fancy. So I love, um, it's Lizzo that, you know, she's her song. She's like, I do my hair toss, check my nails, baby. How you feeling? Feeling good as hell. So I was thinking about that when I was going to ask you about this fancy is like, I think of that, of just like, you had your nails done with a gel manicure 
prior to going across the ocean. Prior to that, they were long fingernails with dip, like the dip kind, they like they are. And I just can, I can picture you like rubbing your nails together and like doing this to the microphone. Where did that start for you? Where did the, and I say, where did it start? Because your, your desire goes beyond just like, I want to be fancy and have nails done, but it's like to show up that you can like have nails, wear jewelry and still be sporty. Yeah. I remember when I was in probably middle school, high school, I had just started rowing. Um, I had always done sports. And so I always had to be up early for Saturday. And I remember my routine every Friday night, I would you know, stay up late watching TV because I didn't have school the next day, even though I had practice and I would repaint my nails, like the whole thing, take the time to take it off, not just paint over it, you know, file them, pick out a new color. I had a huge bucket of hundreds of colors. So I always loved having my nails done. And I don't know if that was just because I had always been more girly and feminine, but I think the more involved I got in rowing with the calluses on your hands, the blisters, you're always sweaty. It was just one thing that was always done and just always really looked nice. And I'm looking at my hands all the time. Like that is one of the parts of your body that you see so often. And I just hated seeing them plain and bare. And it was just something about having them nice and pretty that I just absolutely loved. And so it was equally important for me to have them done while I was rowing across an ocean as it had been for the past, you know, 10, 15 years of my life. Does it, does it, um, have a bigger meaning too around that whole idea of bringing, um, that femininity to, to sport for you? It does now my enjoyment in having my nails done and painted when I was little, I wasn't really thinking of that at the time until, you know, I got deeper into sports. And of course you have all these experiences in society where people like look down on you for being girly and you don't fit into this box and you're with a team of women who aren't like that at all. And you really do stand out and you kind of almost feel like you have to prove yourself extra and you have to be better than them because you don't want people to think that that's the reason that you're not as good of an athlete. It's, oh, it's because she's girlier than us. And so I always felt like, this is going to be my MO. This is going to be my thing where I'm like, no, you can absolutely do both. And I remember when we were putting our boat in for the last time before we launched, a woman actually came up to me and she recognized that I had just gotten my new manicure. And she's like, you're going to row with those nails. And I was like, yeah, you can do both. And she was an older woman. She was like, heck yeah, be the next generation. I was like, there we go. Point made. Yeah. And recognized also, too, by someone that was older, Mm -hmm. having that impact. And I love that you said that is like proving that there's more like you have to do more in a way that's like as though you're the opposite is like you have to be rugged and like tomboyish to be an athlete. And that's I mean, some of the most amazing I don't know, I love like track stars because they're, you know, just like in gymnastics. I mean, part of it is that is a performance and there's like marks for those things. Right. But it's like the, I grew up ice skating and my mom, my mom put my hair in these weird braids and I had blue eyeshadow on and really blushy cheeks. And I think it's, um, as a mom and 
it's this interesting balance between like my daughter wants to do those things. I'm not pushing her towards it. I'm not saying that she's prettier or less pretty or more feminine or less or whatever the thing is, is that she just wants to do it. Cool. Yeah. I know that. I mean, for me, one of my big draws to initially saying yes to this row is because I wanted to see if I, in my core could do it if I was the kind of person that was able to have these big adventures, because I had never seen myself, it was always somebody else. Somebody else was climbing Everest. Someone else was rowing across the ocean. So once we got deeper into the preparation, I knew that if I kind of shaved off those parts of me and I was like, nope, we're not going to have the nails. We're not going to wear the jewelry. Then I don't think I would have felt like I had actually rowed across the ocean. So I almost had to lean into it a little bit more, which is why whenever we had, you know, photos on the boat, I would make sure that my necklace was out, make sure I had my earrings on. I wore my rings for as long as I could until my fingers started to swell. But I was like, if I'm trying to prove to myself that I can row across an ocean, then I have to make sure that all of the parts of me are involved in that process. Awesome. One of my favorite emojis is the emoji of the girl that slaps her face with her palm. And I feel like that is the one that I use most as well as it's like captures messy progress in, in an emoji. Now you've done a lot of things since you've gotten back from this trip. You, you shared all the different places that you've gone exploring coastal rowing. You've taken on quite a few new jobs, working at the base, now a manager, working for lat 35, working for the great Pacific race. Have you had any of these like palm in your face emoji moments as you've taken on these different jobs and sports? That is a good question. I think palm in the face moments in terms of the new jobs would more be when I fall back into my older habits. I like to say older, even though I'm still working on a little bit, but of taking on too much and saying yes to everything because I do have multiple different jobs now. And I feel like one of the biggest things that I learned from being on your team and living with you is that your time is valuable. And I actually get to choose how I want to spend my time. And I think that I've done a lot better at that since being back and being like, I don't want to do this extra meeting or this extra work, or at least do it on this day. Even if I can make it work, you know, if someone's like, how's Tuesday at, at five o'clock. And it's like, okay, if I, sh- if I shift my whole schedule around then I can make it work, but then actually recognizing, or I could just say, no, that doesn't work for me because if I have to move stuff around, then it actually doesn't fit into my schedule. And I've had a couple of those um, since being back, but I've definitely had less than my entire life previous to this row. Yeah, that's awesome. Like setting boundaries around your time. And even just, you know, when we were scheduling this, I, you know, I had asked you, I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot it's summer camp and Reese isn't only in camp till 12. Can these other days work? And then you're like, well, and your response was almost exactly like what you just described is it can. And then when I looked at it on my end, I was like, no, let's just keep it. I can make this work. And it was also what's really fascinating is one of the things I want to highlight here is that when you stepped into kind of like the better version of yourself, you saw like what your pattern was before. 
that pattern works sometimes and it has to, we have to be adaptable, but is that when you did that, it caused me to then look at my schedule and to say, I can also make this work, but I also have to ask on my team for the things that I need. So when someone else holds a boundary that's important to them, that's you stepping into a kind of upgraded version of yourself is it causes the people around you to do the same thing and, you know, to recognize that it's, it's not, you've, you've said this a couple times is it's doesn't happen every time, but it's a practice the same way that it's a practice that we say someone's name or we recognize the social niceties that we're using. And we're like, actually, I don't like that. Or I'm not going to just say I'm fine. And it doesn't come across at first as like an easy, an easy process. It's, it's uncomfortable because we're, we're being more real. Mm -hmm. I think I also have learned that I have to look at the different situations and like the priorities of it, because I really wanted to do this. But I also knew that at this, at a core, this was a podcast and I wanted to be in a good mindset for it. And I knew that if I had squeezed it in somewhere, it wouldn't have as good of an outcome as I knew that it deserved. So I kind of had to look at this separately than just a regular meeting or something like that. And I think that that was another thing that I learned in addition to the boundaries is actually recognizing that there are so many different parts and people involved. And you kind of have to look at the bigger picture sometimes, not just the scheduling. Yeah. Or just like checking a box. I'm going to go from here um, to there to this next thing. Last question that I have for you in kind of the opposite format of from the palm in the face moments is are there, have there been any moments since we've gotten back where you've pinched yourself because you thought like, holy moly, this is my life. Yeah. I think that going to Peru and having that two week training camp slash race was looking at, you know, the timing of it. It was basically the time that we were like in crunch mode to row across the ocean. We we're like, is this thing going to happen on time? And looking a year and being like, I am surrounded by all these incredible people from all over the world, all of these different countries. And we're all in the same place having a meal together after racing together. And I just thought like, how lucky am I that we all get to share these different experiences because of one common thing that we all loved and the fact that it, it isn't just going to end there for all of us, we're all going to be able to see each other again in the future when we do go to worlds. And it's like, I have all of these friends from literally all over the world and they're all such amazing people. And I got to really get to know them over the two weeks. And it was like, wow, this is, I cannot believe that this is my life because I would have never expected to be there when I was rowing across the middle of the ocean. I didn't even know that the club that I was training with went to Peru, you know? So that was definitely a really pinch me moment since being back. It sounds like too, just like getting a chance to experience something so radical with a group of people all being in the same place. And it doesn't come with the, or I should say it comes with sacrifice. It can seem from an athletic standpoint of like, oh my God, you got to go to Peru. You get to eat dinner with all these people. But in a conversation that you and I had a couple weeks back, you were talking about how your brother on the flip side 
is in the world of buying a home and you're like, I'm so far from that because this is what I'm pursuing. Yeah. It's been, it's funny. I had that conversation with my brother. Like it still is so ingrained in my brain. It's just, there's a lot of instability in my life because of this lifestyle that I chose. I want to be a full-time athlete, but I don't get paid like an athlete. So rowing is the priority, but I still need to make money to do that. So my schedule is so full. It changes all the time. You know, we don't sometimes have a lot of notice before we go to these big races. And all of a sudden I have to be on a flight across the country expected to perform my best. And then if I qualify, I go to South America and it's all of these different things. And yeah, and you have to work because you have to put food on the table and pay rent. So all of my you know, finances are getting fed back into rowing. So it's hard to save up to buy an actual home and a piece of property or even just have a relationship and get to know somebody for a long time because I don't know if I'm going to move again in the next six months. Um, but, you know, from the conversation we had, it was so nice because you know me super well. You're like, but you you love what you're doing. And I was like, you're right. I do. I do love my life. And I'm really grateful for all of the craziness that's involved in it. And honestly, I don't know if I'm maybe put out to be in the stable by a house at 26 life. That's just not me. And this is where you are now. And it's great. And I love it. And I can't believe it. Well, and it's so interesting too, to just what you said, reflecting on your pinch me moment where you were like a year ago, I didn't know any of these people. I was on a boat in the middle of the ocean and I didn't even think that this could be the life that I'm having now. And it's like, we can get, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, right? So it's like, we can get wrapped up in the things that, oh, they have this, they have that. And it's, but I really don't want it. If I get really honest with myself, it would be great in a way. Sometimes I think like, oh, if someone would just give me that, I would take it. Yeah, right. (laughs) But I also don't care that much to work for it. And that's the part of really getting discerning with what do I want? What are my needs at this point in time? Because they can change, you know, different things can, you know, how many months was it prior to choosing to be on the team rowing across the ocean where you were, you know, focused, set on flatwater Olympics? And then that changed kind of quick. Really fast. Yeah. It's crazy. I was talking to someone else about this and just telling them that story. And they were like, it sounds like you almost didn't row across an ocean. I was like, that's kind of exactly it. I almost didn't. If I didn't text Libby back again, or have this whole thought process with myself, I wouldn't have rowed across an ocean because that wasn't the initial conversation that I had with Libby. She wasn't inviting me. She wasn't, you know, trying to get me to do it. It was just like, this is what I'm doing as a friend who you haven't seen in a while. And then it was my turn. This is what I'm doing. And then we left. So it's funny how things change so fast. And even just within a year from doing the crossing, so much has changed. So I know I said last question, but prior to just to to kind of riff on that for a second is when Libby mentioned, I'm going to go row across this ocean. And you said, hey, I'll make you some playlists. Peace. And then you reached out back to her and said, you know, I could be watching you at the finish line or I could be joining you. What was that? How did that come about for you in that decision process of like, how did you know that this was something that you wanted to 
invite yourself into? Yeah, it's part of it is from what I mentioned before about initially having this back and forth conversation with myself and being like, you want to do this thing. You want to be on the boat with Libby, but then also having that little double on my shoulder being like, but it's not you. It's always somebody else. That's not your story. It's a story that you watch somebody else do. Kind of like me telling myself I could watch Libby row across the finish line in Hawaii. So I don't know what little push it was, but it was just that one second moment that I texted her. I was like, let me just see if I can be on the team with her. And I wasn't even thinking about how am I going to do this? Am I, is my coach going to let me do this? Am I going to have to move for it? Am I going to have to quit my job? I wasn't thinking about any of those things, which thank God I wasn't because I think if any of those questions had came up into my head, I wouldn't have texted her initially. I'm just lucky that I texted her first and I was like, I know you need another person. Can it be me or can I at least just learn a little bit more about it? And then of course I had all the, oh shit, facepalm moments. How am I actually going to realistically make this work? But luckily I said yes first because I knew that I wanted to be on the boat with her. Yeah. I love that. Say yes first, figure out the details later. (laughs) Just do the next right thing. Yeah. Oh, what we've learned from movies. Okay. So this last part is going to be rapid fire questions. So not a lot of thought. You ready? Ready or not. Okay. What is your most used emoji? Ooh, probably the one where you're crying. It's crying. Crying tears of joy or? No, it's the sad one, but I don't use it when I'm sad. It's like when I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. Um, Any show or shows that you're currently binging? I just started the new season of Black Mirror. All-time favorite cartoon character? Ooh, probably Olaf from Frozen. How do you take your coffee? With caramel swirl and cream, preferably from Dunkin' Donuts. Is it cold or hot? It's a cold brew. You get an hour free out of nowhere. What do you do with it? Either go to the beach to take a nap or go for a little row. Daily self-care rituals or rhythms that are non-negotiable. Probably taking off my waterproof mascara before going to bed. All right, last one. If you could be a sea animal, what would you be and why? A shark? Because they're my favorite animal and they're the coolest animal on the planet, not just the ocean. And I just love them. And I would love to live a day in their life of just being the biggest, baddest fish in the sea. Which we didn't see any of, to be clear, on our row. So sad. (laughs) Thank you for doing this, Brooke. Thanks, Adrian. This was really, really fun. Thank you for listening. If what you heard today lit you up in any way, please take the time to subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends. It'll help us reach more people in courageously and confidently rocking life. Make sure you follow me on Instagram to see the messy fun I'm up to at the Adrian Smith and check out my current wellness events and coaching programs on my website, alignedlivingnow.com. I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, get messy.